0: What um, what I felt like tonight was the Lord wanted us to to keep pursuing what John is sharing with us about how we're going to go for it in terms of being radical kingdom believers. And then tomorrow morning, Norm is going to be ministering here again, more on the transcendent, the kingdom of God and Christ, and how we move in the fullness of who God is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got an amazing time tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening as well. So and some more sharing and ministry for you. The goal here is to help us all get upgraded into being New Testament apostolic prophetic believers that operate at a high level of intimacy with the Lord and operate in a profound level of unity with each other so that we can bring a kingdom of God in every sphere of life. That's the goal of why we're here. Okay? So those three lakes are what? The presence of God, intimacy. The first and greatest commandment, this way. The second greatest commandment, to love each other well. Okay, unoffendable, fully filled with grace. And the third one, kingdomizing the nations, bringing the kingdom on earth. All three of those things operate simultaneously in our lives. And all of us are called to operate in apostolicity. What I mean by that is, there's a DNA from the Lord in every person that makes you a sent out one. Okay, you may not be an apostle, but there is the strain of the DNA strain of heaven that makes you apostolic, meaning you're called to bring heaven to earth wherever you're at, with your students at work, in your neighborhoods, in your cities. That sent out oneness, that on missionness is the inscribed embeddedness of Christ in us because Christ seeks and saves the lost. So if it's just all about me and Jesus and I'm not connected this way or I'm not going out, part of the genetics of heaven are not fully operating in my life. When the church disconnected from the fivefold ministry gifts of apostle and prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, those assigned gifts were called to infuse the body with these nutrients, so that all five, which is really expressions of Jesus, all five of those become you. You see, it wasn't for you to watch the apostle. It was for the apostle to equip you to be apostolic. It's you to be equipped to do the work of ministry. So we're here. We're here in this urban core, getting equipped to do the work of ministry and to live life well. This place here is a visual aid and a prophetic place. It's a point of release for the nations. We were moved here not simply to touch the poor. We were moved here to position ourselves in the middle of an international conversation because the aliens relocate. The people that come to America that are destitute and poor and needy, they land in this area. This is where they settle in order to get a start in America, if you're in the Midwest. So you can knock on one door, this is a Vietnamese family. Right next door, this family could become this come from uh, Serbia or Syria. Next door, uh, El Salvador, or Honduras. Literally, you've never seen anything like it in this neighborhood. One of the grade schools up the street, we, we counted 40 different people groups in 40 different languages in one grade school. The kids were so poor that it was the school that fed them breakfast and lunch, and we had to give them food to carry them over the weekend. So we had snack packs. And by the hundreds, we would fill these packs with snacks so there was enough nutrition to get the kids through Saturday and Sunday so they could get back to school on Monday and get a, a more balanced diet because they were living without decent you know, finances and parenting. So that's why we're here. This is a prophetic positioning for the nations. And we want to operate under the cloud of God's glory, so we call this place the portal. We call this place the portal because we want to walk in an open heaven as a way of life. We don't think you'd have to go to a building to touch God, but when we come here, we want to be reminded and equipped to walk out into the streets in life with the fullness of what God has. And so there's been a lot of warfare around this place. A lot of warfare around this neighborhood and around this church. And God has, you know, God has maintained faithfulness to his own word. And God is inaugurating a new surge of his purpose in this area. And I'm very excited about it. And what God's doing in Jason and Sarah and Paul, Craig and Nancy and Laura and Michael and Kim and, and so many others that God has held together for, for a purpose of God in this place. Okay, so... God is connecting the body of Christ in a very powerful way. He's, he's, he's moving apostles and prophets from different streams together, relationally, so that they can hold each other accountable and upgrade each other's life together. And I've been moving in lots of different streams of the kingdom over my lifetime, and I still have hugely deep, important relationships with different groups, like Global Awakening with Randy Clark and Tom Jones and all that, and and the Legacy Group with Bill Johnson and Chris Valatin were part of that. And with Sam Matthews and the Family of Faith Group and we've now positioned our college, our accredited college, under the university banner of Family of Faith University. We've maintained relationships with IHOP and the people of IHOP. And I have, I can't even name them all because, uh, you know, we don't have enough time, but different relationships are strategic ...for us to submit to the Christ in one another. And um, that's why I I reached out to John Chisholm. I I knew by the Spirit that something important was going on in his life and at IHOP. And so I initiated a breakfast. And I could see the Father heart of God on him... ...and I could tell that he's being groomed by the Lord... ...to be one of these apostolic dads to this next Jesus movement... ...that's going to hit the earth. And God's raising up men and women who can stabilize this massive move of the kingdom that's going to be hitting in the earth. I was birthed in the Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s. Okay? I was birthed in that. So I know revival is a part of my DNA. And I know that across the world in Europe, South and Central America, Asia, uh, you know, Australia, all over the world, God is going to move in such a major way, but he wants the wineskin better than it was in the first Jesus movement. The wineskin, meaning family and apostolic tribes, people that do deep relationships and do inner healing well, and this will be a very demonically opposed value. And vision is properly aligning people relationally so they can go the long haul under the presence of the Lord and finish well. We can't do this without proper relationships. So God is raising up a generation of people, older people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that can secure and stabilize a group of people in their 40s and down. Does that make sense? And some of the tweeners, like Mano, he, he gets to bridge both worlds, and that's why he's so special, actually. That's one of the many reasons why he's so amazing. So I would like you to do something important. When you're in a setting like this, remember I told you about how China, the Chinese were so desperate? They took notes and they knew that they were learning on behalf of someone else, that when they got trained, they never thought, I, uh, for, for one, this is optional, and two, it's just about me. They always took notes in such a way that says, I know other cities are at stake. I've got to get this so good that I can pass it on to someone else. In other words, we're training trainers. And when people don't come with a mindset that I'm going to get what I get to pass on, I get deeply consumed, concerned about a consumer mindset. So tonight, you've got to kind of take the American church culture of passivity and optional life and go, you know, and go, not going to happen. I am going to pass on to other people what the Spirit of God has done to me. Now, the next thing you do is you say, Blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord. You must develop a culture of honor. You must see the Christ in people and never define them by their appearance, by their gender, okay, by their age, by their color, nothing. You must only know people by the Spirit, by the Christ in them, submit to the Christ in them, and a culture of honor is the currency of heaven that allows the fullness of Christ in them to get transacted into you. So it's not a good day to be, to be arrogant and proud. We must walk in humility before the Lord. To get all that Jesus has for us in all the streams of heaven. One of the things about John, and he's going to come up in just a second, is John is the pastoral overseer of IHOP. So he's trying to take all these people from all over the place with all their orphanness and brokenness and trying to figure out how to get them healthier and more whole in, in Jesus in a, in a kind of a transient culture. Boy, that's brutal. God bless you. But more than that, he loves Israel. And he's over the Israeli mandate. In other words, God has not renounced his commitment to Jewish people. So we have a responsibility there as well. So John is a father in the spirit. And what I want you to do is come up, John, and I want to keep coaching you uh, on an outer activity that must reveal an inner reality. The outer activity is this. You say to someone like John, Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. When you say, blessed are you that comes in the name of the Lord, you are recognizing that Jesus Christ has set someone in your midst that you are to receive from. And you, de- you defer and submit your heart to the Christ in Him for the full exchange of the presence of the Lord, the reality of God that's in Him, to get onto you. It's very important that you have hunger and humility as a, as a inner disposition of your heart. Because humility, God gives grace to the humble. So if you don't are humble and hungry, you can sit here and this will, be, this will go right over your head. It will mean it will be irrelevant to you. But if you're hungry and humble and your attitude is right, the Jesus in John will get on to you. Now, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily buy every single statement he makes. Wait, because, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Okay. I will, but you don't have to. Know. I'm saying you test those things to the word, but the spirit of the is, is this. I, I tell you what. You, you've got to just enjoy the Jesus in this guy. And when I met him, it wasn't but five minutes I saw him by the spirit. And I felt so grateful and so honored to be with him. And, and he's also a businessman, and God's honored him to be very successful in the marketplace. So he's a full-service dude. You know what I'm saying? He's a full, amazing guy, and he's a father and a grandfather. And so the same with Norm, the same with anybody that gets up here and, and tries to release something to you. We are fighting for you. We are fighting for you to be awesome in the Lord. And, and I, just, I just think it's really critical that you, you, you coach your own heart. You coach your own heart to say, it's not just for me, but it's for a bunch of other people. And what I'm about to get is awesome. So I'm going to pray for John. I want you to extend your hand right now. I want you to say out loud, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we just say, this is your man. We thank you for his wife, his children, his grandchildren, the work he does in the marketplace and with IHOP. We thank you, God, for the way you're building him into a father, for this end-time move of your spirit. And we recognize that, Jesus, you're using him in a mighty way, and we receive the Jesus in him. Amen. Okay, so you get to use. We can flow around
1: here. It's all good. Well, you got me extra space. I appreciate that. Well, I, I really appreciate what just Tim just said. And I do hope you take it to heart, not because of me, but... I just think it's really crucial that watch what the Lord does as he pulls this international family of affection into much more close proximity. right? And so watch. And so that thought process and that spirit about how I relate and how I honor and the issue is who they are in the Lord and capturing from them whatever it takes. And that cross-pollinization is just really important to the Lord. And so I appreciate the tone in which he said it, I appreciate the heart posture in which he said it, it, and I feel it. I am very thankful to you about how you've received me and responded to me, and how you've been a blessing to me, and all of your words of encouragement, I mean, I'm blessed. It's been sweet to be with you. It's been incredibly encouraging to my heart. And so, bless you. I want to share some thoughts, and I'm sort of going to try and connect them. But would it be all right if I just back up a dump truck, unload on you, knowing that you're going to take it and work it through? And you're going to, okay, and so I'm going to throw some things at you, and I'm hoping that you mind them, because there's so much more in it, and I'm going to move on and make another point, and move on and make another point, and then I'm going to try and connect them, all right? Is that all right if I do it that way? Okay, so I have been encouraging you and challenging you about, he's a redeemer, And watch what he's going to do as he restores and redeems hearts, lives, movements, churches, families. Watch, watch, because it's who he is. It's not something he does. It's his very nature. It's who he is. And one of the major ways he's going to do that is through us as a body, being his hands, being his feet, being his voice, which is what spiritual gifts are all about. And the issue is, is that from that place of compassion, because the Lord cares... And as we spend time for him and as we reach for him, as we behold him, we're going to be transformed by him. We're going to start loving what he loves. He loves the last, the lost, the least. He loves those that are in brokenness and are hurting and are pained because he's a healer. He's a redeemer. It's who he is. And so I show up empty-headed, all right, and make myself available and watch how he uses me to impact the folks and to change hearts and to redeem and restore and so this thing about spiritual gifts, it's really, really important that we really be proactive. There's not a passivity in it. We need to be reaching. And if we'll reach, and if you'll do that thing about make a commitment to do it 100 times, and watch what the Lord does in that, watch, you're going to be changed by it. All right? I, I went home the other night, last night. It seemed like a long time ago. I went home last night, and I was buzzed, all right? Like it took me a while to wind down. And so I want to talk to you about that. I need you to get used to that. When you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit and he uses you, the power of God comes through my body. All right? And when the power of God comes, it, it's going to stir stuff up. It is going to stir up my flesh. It's going to stir. Like, all of a sudden, I'm buzzed. And it's a, it's a different kind of high. Like, everything is like, I need time to wind down. Because, like, I'm, I'm stirred up. And so I went home last night, and it took me a while to just wind down. All right? I'm going to get real pastoral here for a moment. To the degree that you're not managing your heart well, to the the degree you're not walking in the fruit of the Spirit, and in a place of growing in godly character, as He uses you and anoints you, what's on the inside is going to come out. All right? And so if you're wrestling with lust and all of a sudden God uses you profoundly in the things of the Spirit, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself like that thing is going to be really hard to handle. Whatever the issue in your heart and your life is, as the power of God comes through, and so one of the challenges for the Lord is he is just hungry and aggressive to want to touch his people and to use his people. Like he is just holding back. But here's the deal is, if he just unleashes it, given the state of where we are right now, it's going to be a mess. And so I just want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that the issue of character is just really important. It's not about getting a buzz. And it's not about, boy, look what I did. It's, that's not what it's about. alright I'm going to have to learn how to get out of the center. I'm going to have to learn how to yield to, he's at the center. He's really good at it. He loves doing it and he can handle it. And I'm none of those three. I'm not very good at being at the center. I can't handle it, all right? And so the truth, i got to yield. I gotta. He's at the center of it. I'm, I'm going to yield to that. But to the degree that I don't manage my heart well, I'm going to get in trouble. And so what is happening in hiddenness, all of a sudden the power of God moves, and you're going to have a hard time managing it because you're going to be stirred up. And so I just truth and lending, I'm encouraging you to reach for them. Eagerly desire. Just understand, though. All right? That as he starts using you, you better be in good shape about what's going on in your heart and life. Because if you're wrestling with pride, you are going to fall into, look what I did. And you're going to want to stand in the center and say, look what I did. On the inside, I'm not feeling that good. But I feel good when I have a big impact. And if all of a sudden this becomes about me, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Whatever's going on. I I, I have a phrase I talk about even in the consulting I do. You know, when you get cut, you bleed what's inside. Simple statement, but it's a profound statement. All right? The Lord takes his people through situations in which we get cut. Because we think we're doing pretty well. When everything's fine around us, I am a guy of love and joy and peace and patience, and goodness, and gentle, oh, I'm doing well, how you doing, I'm doing great. All of a sudden now, things go unsettling under my feet, and all of a sudden, like things aren't going well, and I get cut, it's amazing how all of a sudden this impatience starts coming up. Now, what's the source of impatience? Oh, it's obvious because of what, what's happening to me. No, let's go, no, stop, stop. You're supposed to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, no matter the circumstance you're in. So Paul's sitting in prison, and he's praising God and in a place of peace and joy in the midst of the most horrendous of circumstances. The issue is not what's happening out here. And so when you get cut, when you find yourself disappointed, when you find yourself betrayed, when you find yourself being treated unfairly, when you find yourself like on the short end of a stick on something, what comes out of you? Because what comes out of you is what's inside of you, and he wants to help you deal with it. It's not coming up by accident. And so we want to minister to each other along those lines. We want to make room for that. All right. And so I'm just wanting to encourage you. Learn how to deal with being buzzed. Learn how to be deal with disappointment and when it doesn't go well. All right. We're going into a time and season in which both of those things are going to intensify. The glory and the challenge are going to intensify. We're going to find ourselves in very difficult circumstances. And I want to be in a peace in which the presence of God and the fruit of the Spirit is evident, and I'm able to stabilize an environment that's just on this side of chaos. All right, And at the same time, when the glory comes, I want to be able to cooperate with it, but I don't want to get lost in it. And so the issue of how we manage our hearts. So, real quickly, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. All right. If, how, like, John, how do I do that? How do I learn how to manage my heart? How do I, how do I handle it? Well, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is just the, the foundational piece about what kingdom life is supposed to look at. And there's a muscle that he is after you developing. And the muscle that is most crucial to you learn how to manage your heart, walk in the power of God, and deal with the difficulties of life is the issue of denial. Because love involves denial. Love's not what I get. Love's what I give. Love's learning how to not make it about me, but to make it about, I'm going to have to learn how to deny myself in order to follow him and to be like him. And so in in Sermon on the Mount, he talks about when you fast. All right? And so being the man of God that I am, I just asked this question. What does me not eating have anything to do with the kingdom of God? Did any of you ask that question? Especially at dinner time I ask that question. Especially at lunch time I ask that question. And especially at breakfast time I have asked that question. What does me not eating have anything to do with the kingdom of God? It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. What are you doing in fasting? I'm denying my appetite. I'm denying what I want. I'm denying what's right in front of me. I can satisfy myself. i got to learn how to deny that. And so when I fast, I'm developing that muscle. How do you develop a muscle? You use it. And then you add a little bit of resistance. You add more weight to it. All right. And so, like fasting, I'm going to fast breakfast. And I'm going to fast breakfast and lunch. I'm going to eat one meal a day. And then I'm going to learn how to go 24 hours. And then I'm going to learn how to go 36 hours. And I'm going to do a three-day fast. I'm going to do a 5-day fast. I'm going to do a 10-day fast. I'm going to have to do a 30-day fast. I'm going to do a 40-day fast. I want to encourage you and challenge you that you be reaching and strengthening that muscle. If you've never done a 40-day fast before, I want to encourage you to reach for that. Now, I tell you to go run a marathon. What are you going to say to me? Not right now, I'm not. But if I sense that's what God wants me to do, I've got to build a plan how to build my strength and endurance and my ability to run a marathon. And that's what you got to do when it comes to fasting. Strengthen the denial muscle. So he talks about when you fast. He talks about when you give. Generosity. All right? Well, give me that. You know, all of a sudden, Lord, I've been praying for you to bless me. I finally got it. What do you want me to do with it? I want you to give it away. Give it away? I need that. No. Be generous. I'll be generous when I have lots of extra. You're missing the point, John. You're missing the point. I want you to learn how to trust me. And to deny yourself. Give. Be generous. When you do acts of kindness, it's not about me. It's not about being in the center. It's me to learn how to lay down my life and serve others. When you serve, when you fast, when you pray, when you give, prayer, intercession. Lord, help me understand. Like, you want me to sit in this prayer room, and you want me to say prayers to you that you told me to pray. So I'm just praying what you tell me to pray. Like, Lord, trust me. I have a skill set. I'm much more effective for you. If let me go do some stuff. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go do some management. I'll go, I'll go help strengthen the organization. And it's like, no, no, sit here, quiet yourself, and pray what I tell you to pray. It's like, what? why? Why? Because it's not about you accomplishing. It's not about what you do. I want you to learn how to quiet yourself. Deny yourself. Give yourself to me in a place of devotion. All right? And so if you want to learn how to manage your heart, When you fast, when you pray, when you give, when you do acts of kindness, when you serve, those all involve that denial muscle strengthening. And when that denial muscle is strong and the anointing of God comes through me, I can manage it and handle it. When I get cut and there's a part of me that's starting to bleed, I can manage that. Because that denial muscle, it's not about what I deserve. It's not about, listen, I should be treated fairly. It's like, well, actually, no. He promised you you wouldn't be treated fairly. And he wants you ready for that. And so that denial muscle piece becomes so, so crucial. So be a people that learn how to manage our hearts so that when things go awesome and the anointing of God's there, we can manage it. And when things don't go well, we can manage it, and we'll be a settling force, and watch how he uses it. And one of the problems when you look at church history is all of a sudden the power of God comes, and it's incredible, and then it starts wiping people out at an incredible level. And all of a sudden, after this awesome revival six months later, There's hardly any fruit to it, because the anointing disrupted people's lives. The anointing people got lost in it. Pride started raising up, and lust started raising up, and all of a sudden we got all the sexual sin, and all of a sudden the leaders are falling, it's like, what's going on here? What's going on is the anointing of God fell, and they weren't in a position to handle it. I don't want a visitation. I just don't want a spiritual gift. I want a habitation. I want to be a part of a people that cooperate with God, flow in God. We're moving in his power. We're moving in his life. We can handle difficulty. All right? We can walk in all of that, and it doesn't move us. We're going to keep being faithful no matter what's happening to us. He's looking for a people like that. I want to be a part of a people like that. Learn how to manage your hearts. Reach for spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire it. Desire it. Okay, that was three really good sermons, okay? So just go back and mind down on that. I'm going to walk you to Ephesians, all right? I, I'm fascinated by the book of Ephesians and being a pastoral guy who is trying to help IHOP. Again, I mean, Tim just touched on it a little bit. Talk about an incredibly transient community. People are constantly coming, constantly going. People move here just to become a part of that prayer room. And so they have passion for that prayer room. But the truth of the matter is we're not going to accomplish the assignment as it relates to that prayer room unless we learn how to relate well together. All right? Now, that's hard. Sitting in a prayer room, being by myself, in the context of some incredible worship, and doing some intercession, it's like, you know, you've got to train your heart for it. But, like, really neat things happen in that dynamic. All of a sudden, I walk out of the prayer room, and I've got to learn how to relate. I got. What happens when somebody steps on my toes? What happens when it doesn't go the way I want to? What happens when my family's struggling? What happens when... And so this issue of community and us learning how to be a body becomes really, really important. We've got to be a body because we're part of the same tribe. But God wants to take it a step further. And now he wants to start mixing the tribes. He wants us to learn how to relate even when we don't know each other well. All right? When there's distance and and geography and, all right, and so, again, book of Ephesians, powerful book. What what people talk about on the book of Ephesians is it looks like so often Paul is writing a letter and there's an issue that he needs to address. So he's writing the letter because he's trying to help something. He's trying to address something. He's trying to, in the book of Ephesians, we don't see that. It feels like he's got a freedom to the church in Ephesus to just unload in a precious way. And so he starts laying out in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 some of the most unbelievable insights about God and the kingdom of God and what he's out. And so, again, like I got an NIV study Bible, you know, spiritual blessings in Christ. What does it mean? What do we get when we come into covenant with him? And it's like he lays out some incredible language that gives us insight about who he is and what he's accomplished in us, the theology of it, the practice of it. All right, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What's the purpose of his will? That he's going to bring heaven and earth together underneath his leadership. And so this picture is being pen, uh, just painted for us. Some of Paul's prayers for the church, they're just powerful. They're beautiful. That you would understand who God is. That you would understand who he's making you to be. That you would be strengthened in your inner man. That we're one in him. We're alive in him. And so he's walking us through this theology, and and we're at 50,000 feet. God has just downloaded a revelation of this awesome man, Christ Jesus, and his purposes in life, and that we get to enter into those he keeps talking about. He talks about this issue about Jew and Gentile, all right? The greatest division that God's going to overcome is that issue of Jew and Gentile. Invite me back sometime, and I'll develop that even further, all right? Where this thing's all going to get summed up is when the Gentile church... All right, understands God's heart and purpose as it relates to Israel, and we lay down our lives. It's a really sweet, in my mind, word picture. I don't know if you've seen the recruiting video for the Marines where they got this huge 12-foot wall or whatever, and this group of 10 go run into the wall, and the guys get on the bottom, and the other guys step on their head and crawl up to get on top of it. All right? And then what happens, though, is they all go one and over, but then they turn around and reach down and grab the last two people are there and pull them up. All right. What the church is going to do is we're going to lay down and we're going to let Israel step right on our head and we're going to get them in the rightful position and we're going to get them up over the wall and then watch as Israel turns around and yanks the church over to the fullness of his purposes and then the Lord's back. Any, everybody want the Lord back? Anybody want the Lord back? Well, we've got to get Israel in its rightful place, all right? I just left my notes there for one minute, but he's talking about that in Ephesians 3. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. All right, and so we're up at 50,000 feet, and he's just dropping these nuggets on it. And then all of a sudden, he goes from 50,000 feet and lands the airplane. Have you ever been in an airplane that all of a sudden had to drop really quickly? It's worse than any roller coaster, okay, in terms of where they're at 30,000 feet, and all of a sudden there's a crisis, and they've got to get under that 10,000-foot thing as quickly as possible. It happened in an airplane I was in, all right? It's, like, it's scary. It's like, boom. Well, that's what he does in Ephesians. Because he's talking about all this majesty and beauty, and then all of a sudden he lands it. What does all that mean? Well, here's what it means: as a prisoner for the Lord, Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now he's laid out the calling about who we are in Christ and all that's happening, and so like he's continuing that point, right? Well, no, not actually. Watch him just no. The call you've received to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Wait a minute. I thought I'm one with Christ. I thought I'm a new creature. I thought about God has this plan and purpose to exalt Jesus Christ in all things, and I get to partner with him. What does this look like? Here's what it looks like. Bear with one another in love. To say I love God and I'm cooperating with him and I'm disconnected from this point is to not love God well. And Paul is just going to now pound on that in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, that word, effort. Alright? If this was easy, we'd be a lot better at it. It's going to take commitment and effort to walk in unity together. It's going to take humility And gentleness, it's going to take a really strong denial muscle that I can't just make it about what I need and what I want in order for us to walk in unity together. All right? And so, like, there's a theme in my mind in Ephesians 4. He talks about relationships, friendship, intimacy, and he talks about function. Now, some of us are wired in such a way that we just want to talk about function. Like that relational stuff. Ah! It's hard. In fact, I get hurt in it, so I'm going to pull away from that. I'm just, what has God called me to be and God, what's God called me to do? And I'm going to talk about function. And then there's people over here who are like, oh, I like this relationship thing. Let's just hang out together. Under what context? You know, what's the function? I'm not worried about function. I just, Can we just hang out? Can we do meals together? All right? God says break bread. That fasting thing's overrated, okay? The, Lord, the, heart of the, the word of the Lord that I hear is break bread together. Alright, and so I, I want to try and connect because I just long to be accepted. I long to be connected. But what you find in Ephesians four is both those two pieces work together. All right. I mean jump all the way forward, run to sixteen. From him, talking about Christ, whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is so much in that sentence. From the Lord, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows, and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So relationship and function are connected. I want to help you understand how God has wired you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there is purpose in your genetic code. There's purpose in your personality. There's purpose in your history. There's purpose in everything that you've experienced. He's going to take it and use it unto his good. And I want to help reflect that, that you understand who God's made you to be and for what he's made you to be. But it's going to be different than me. And then that difference, it starts to get threatening. Why can't everybody just be like me? God, that's scary that everybody would be like me. All right? And it's scary if everybody was like you. Our diversity is going to be beautiful, but it's that diversity walking in unity that is going to confound the world. And the more trouble that's thrown on us, the more we're going to rise. The more we're going to love one another. The more we're going to be connected. The more we're going to be a family that can withstand whatever comes our way. Our greatest hour is right in front of us, but it's going to be in difficult times. It's easy to be fine when everything's fine. It's going to take the grace of God to be fine in the midst of things not being fine. And it is really important that you understand the power of function and you understand the power of relationship and friendship. And Paul hits it and hits it and hits it in Ephesians 4. We're not going to deal with this grandiose plan about the gospel of the kingdom advancing unless we learn how to love one another and do all the one another's together. All right? This is not a solo flight. All right? The world is going to be confounded, confounded. All right? The world is going to know that God is who he is because of what? Because of the way we love one another. And not just love one another because everything's going well. Love one another in the midst of crisis. Love one another even when it's not in our best interest to love one another. And this isn't easy. It is going to take the grace of God to conform us unto it. And so asking to try and help pastor a community of 5,000 people that come and go, that have real strong opinions about theology and about practices and about who God is, are really committed to the issue of eschatology. Bless God, we're going for it, okay? We are going to be end-time forerunners. Get out of my way. Bless God. It's like, how's your marriage doing? How are your kids doing? I mean, have you looked at the job description of an elder? It is the one who can communicate the gospel of the kingdom in 10 sentences. That's not the job description. It's the one who's a forerunner and is the best, faster, and denier. And you no, know, the job description says, how's your marriage? How's your relationship with your children? How's your relationship with your neighbor? What does the community think about you? That means I'm learning how to relate well. Is what, the, what, what does it look like to be an elder in the body? It's somebody who can relate well. And so as a body, we need to be a people that relate well. It's hard. I get offended. I get hurt. I get misunderstood. I get disappointed. You know what? I'm going to just go off and do it myself. I'm going to get into this function thing, and I'm going to let go of all that relationship. And the Lord says, no. I'm telling you, eagerly desire to prophesy. I'm also telling you, eager desire to be in relationship with one another. Practice humility. Practice deferring to one another. Practice making an investment to understand and see how somebody else is doing. All right? Again, the team I work with or whatever, I'm asking them all the time, how are you doing? And they will do sometimes a pretty trite answer, and it's like, no, 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 I'm really asking now. How are you really doing what's going on in your heart and life where's the challenge in your life all right and the ability to be known like what am i wrestling with it's like well i'm the man of god i don't wrestle with anything because that's the definition of what a man of god does it's like no what book are you reading what i love about the scriptures is all the leaders all of them we get to see all their deficiencies we get to see their brokenness we get to see their hurt their pain we get to see their disappointment. We get to see their failure. We get to see their moral failure. None of it surprises God. We heard that yesterday. None of that this morning. I mean, he's not surprised by it. And so we've got to let go of this thing about I'm the man of God and I don't struggle with anything. We've got to let each other in. And it's not easy to do. It's going to take the grace of God to be the people of God. It's going to take a posture a desire, a humility, a reaching, in order to learn how to relate. And by your personality, you're probably drawn more to the friendship or you're drawn more to the function, and they're both really, really important. We can't just excel in one of them. We have got to excel in both of them because they're connected to where maturity comes from. We're an intimate relationship, learning how to function well together, honoring the gifts and the callings that are in each person, and that body starts to flow together in a place of relationship where we yield and we deny and we bless one another and we minister to one another and watch as that maturity starts to rise. And that maturity will confound the earth. And that maturity will draw attention to how awesome the God is that we worship is he can take a bunch, of, a bunch of mutts like us and turn us into something special. You guys serve a really big God. Because look what's happening among you. Look how you love one another. Look how you defer to one another. Look how you you relate. Look how you minister to one another. Look how genuine you are. Look how real you are. There's something attractional about that. My family wasn't like that. I've never seen anything like that. I want to be a part of something like that. We're called to be attractional. Because he's attractional. People were drawn to him. The more broken they were, the more attracted they were to him. And we as a body need to function at that level. And so I'm talking about spiritual gifts. And I'm talking about God is about to do some profound things. And I believe that. I am stirred up. I'm stirred up about the promises over Kansas City that are just starting to just be set up right now. Sitting with Bob Jones for 30 years, he was talking about stuff. And the things he's talking about, they're happening right in front of my eyes, right around me. The time is upon us. The time is upon us, and I want to say yes. I want to stand up into the fullness of the call on my life. But you know what? I'm broken, and I walk with a limp, and I got scars and disappointments, and I need your help processing them. And I need to find a safe place to be able to be genuine about this thing's hard. I really love God. It's people that get in the way all the time. And he wants to help us get above that, get beyond that to learn how to, to relate to it, to learn how to walk with it, all right? Again, if you go through Ephesians 4, it is amazing how practical he gets about the call to relate. If you look at from 25 all the way to the end of the fourth chapter, very practical points, all right? Each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor. We're all members of one body. The issue of unity is so crucial, all right? In your anger, do not sin. It's not easy to manage anger. You know, anger, anger feels good. Anger feels empowering, okay? You, you offend me, all right, and, you know, it was wrong that you offended me, and so I get to be angry, and I feel empowered in anger. Almost all anger is a secondary response to pain. We don't like relating to pain. We want to move away from that as quickly as possible. Anger, I feel empowered. I can walk in anger walking in hurt and pain, that I got hurt, that that really hurt my heart. That's hard to relate to, and so we want to move away from it. Paul's telling us, wait a minute, be careful. Most anger is not righteous anger. Now, we've all heard that preaching, you know? Jesus got angry. There's righteous anger. And my anger is righteous. Your anger, you better be working on it. But my anger is righteous anger. (laughs) All right? No, it's me not being comfortable with hurt and pain. Not having the tools to be able to talk about what we've got to talk about. And so I come out, and that anger all of a sudden is going to turn into hardness. And you're not going to manage your heart well. All right? And so he's talking about how important that is. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anger will do that. He's been, who's been stealing must steal no longer. Like, how practical is that? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Wait a minute. He was just talking about the awesomeness of God's call to bring heaven and earth together. Why all of a sudden are you down at this level? This is where it's lived out. We're not answering that call if we can't live this out, if we can't be truthful with one another, if we can't be honest and genuine with one another and talk about, "This is hurting me, I'm, uh, this is hard. You're stepping on my toes when you do that. Learning how to have difficult conversations, it's a skill set that is incredibly crucial to us being able to be the body. I travel all over the country on conflict resolution. That's the main emphasis of my consulting practice. All right? Is God? Took I, I used to be in the vineyard. We were a church planting movement. We were a regional church. We oversaw a seven-state area. The church would get planted. It'd grow to be about 100 people. Then all of a sudden, a fight would happen, a church fight, over the authority and the control of that thing. When it was 40 people, there was nothing worth fighting over. All of a sudden, at 100, it's starting to pay bills, and now somebody can have a position in that. So you got a founding pastor, you got a key elder, you got the key donor. All don't agree on purpose and direction, and all of a sudden there's a battle. And there's a pattern on that. And so I just seemed to have a natural aptitude, which was willingness more than anything else, as I was willing to try and sit down with them and help process that. And because we didn't have a shared vision, there was a fight. Because we never talked about what roles we're going to play and define those roles, there was a fight. Okay. Because the issue of authority, we fought over it because it wasn't clarified. And so let's have those conversations. Well, those are hard conversations. It's hard to talk about roles. It's hard to talk about. We probably don't agree about a vision, so let's just avoid the topic. Well, that don't work. All of a sudden, it's going to turn into a battle. And so I just seem to be willing to do that. And so the Lord used me to unlock some of that. And so the Lord speaks to my wife and says, Hey, I'm about to make you a business consultant to the nations. All of a sudden, a partner in an accounting firm shows up and says, You know, I've watched you in action about what you're doing in the churches, and that same thing happens as in family businesses. Is all of a sudden, the business model is at risk because the family can't get along. They can't relate. They can't talk about, talk about the important stuff. They can't have the difficult conversations. Would you come help me take your skill set and apply it to the marketplace? All right? Next thing I know, i got a practice going. And what I'm doing is bringing kingdom principles. I'm a peacemaker at heart. I'm pastoral at heart. And I'm bringing that skill set to the marketplace, and they're in vital need of it. All right? So that's a little bit about how, how did this guy who is a pastor with a psychology degree all of a sudden end up with a consulting practice. I now mainly work with the accounting profession, very strong, gifted partners who are really good at what they do. They just don't know how to relate to each other. All right? And as long as they have all these six independent practices, they sort of function. But all of a sudden, in this marketplace, they've got to learn how to work together. They have to have a shared vision. They have to have a culture that can attract talent and keep it. Now we have to learn how to work together. We don't know how to work together. We beat each other up. We step on each other. Guess what? There's a way to do this. There's a way to relate to each other. All right? And so I'm sharing all that story to talk about, watch what the Lord's going to do in his body. If we will yield to him, he's going to teach us how to relate. He's going to show us how to have difficult conversations. If we're not having difficult conversations, I want to challenge you, we're not walking and living in community. If you are comfortable in your body life, I'm telling you, it's not kingdom. Because we're going to rub on each other as we walk out friendship and function. we got some difficult conversations in order to make it work. And the thing about difficult conversations is they're difficult. All right, I go all over the country, and I facilitate difficult conversations. And I am really good at difficult conversations until I'm in one. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm not that good at them because I'm trying to manage risk, and I'm trying to manage negative emotion, and, and something bad might happen this. And all the tools and all the learning go out the window when all of a sudden I'm the one at risk. All right? They're hard. They're difficult. The Lord is calling us together. All right. I'm, I'm in sales. I uh, come out of school. First job I got was in jewelry sales. And so I'm running around the Chicagoland area, and I'm selling gold and rings and jewelry. And um, I walk into the store, and it's a lapidary store. And it's this eccentric, crazy guy who just was into rocks. Okay. Now, what he loved to do is he loved to take rocks and turn them into jewelry, all right? He took rocks and turned them into gems. And so, like, he wanted to show me. Like, he was so proud of what he does, and I didn't know how they make gems, all right? And so he's talking to me, and he's taking me back into his back room, and so he's got all these, like, opal rock. He's got all these jagged chunks of rock. Some of them he would go out to a, uh, an opal mine, and he'd mine them themselves, and he'd bring the rocks back to his place, and so, how do you take a jagged rock and turn it into an opal that sits in this gold jewelry and turns into this incredibly valuable, beautiful thing? All right? What he uses is a tumbler. All right? He takes these jagged rocks, he puts them in a tumbler. Now, if you just take jagged rocks and put them in a tumbler and tumble them, what comes out is sand? All right? But you take some corn cob, and you put the corn cob, a buffering agent, all right? A little, little bit of, of like an oil or something. And a little corn cob, and then you start tumbling the rocks, and what happens is the rocks start knocking on one another. Not to crush each other, but just to knock some of the edges off. And all of a sudden it starts to become smooth. And then all of a sudden there's this gorgeous opal that's polished by the process of being in the tumbler. It is a word picture about the body of Christ. All right? I am not going to become the gem that I want to be. If I want to, you know what? Wait till that tumbler has all the gems all sorted out, and then I'll be willing to step into it, okay? I don't want any edges knocked off of me. That's a painful process. It hurts. You step on my toes, it hurts. You knock a chip off my block, it hurts. It's not comfortable. And so tell you what, I'm going to step here, and when the body of Christ gets to where it's supposed to be, I'll be willing to join it at that point. It's like, no, you're missing the
0: whole point.
1: He's after you being a gem. And so what he says is, jump in the tumbler. it's like, no, I'm going to turn into sand. In fact, i got some experience. I've been sanded by the church. It's like, no, the grace of God. If I learn how to be reaching for him and understand his heart and his purpose for us functioning as a body, watch his grace be the buffering agent that I can step into the body of Christ and get knocked and get stepped on and understand that God can take and use all things for good. For those that love him, and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? That we function together in unity and purpose, friendship and function. And so you got to jump in. The process, though, involves pain. The process involves difficult conversations. The process involves us learning how to relate well to each other. And we have to work as hard at that as we do to the issue of function. And the issue of helping you understand who God's made you to be and that you take your rightful place in the body of Christ. And so pastoral ministry is helping that buffering agent be at work in the body of Christ that we don't crush one another. Help people. Wait a minute. Reinterpret that. Hey, I know you're really offended. Let's get that person and talk to them. Before you spread all over the whole church about how rotten a guy John Chisholm is, have you talked to John Chisholm? No, I haven't talked to him. Well, before you, like like, what's the first thing? Very practically. You've got to go to your brother first. Well, and that's threatening. That could be a difficult conversation. That's right. We've got to lean into that. And if that doesn't go well, we bring in a third party. If that doesn't go well, we get an elder involved. We get somebody with pastoral uh, ministry and unction. And let's let the body sort out what it means to be the body. God's after showing himself to a lost world. He wants uh, people from every tongue and tribe and people group on the face of the earth. He's after the nations. He's after souls. He wants to walk in relationship with his creation. He aches for it. He's looking for people to partner with him. We have got to learn how to relate well together. We have to walk in friendship. We have to walk in function and watch as we arise in a place of maturity. We handle the difficulty we handle the glory, we're in full partnership with him, it's going to get awesome. I read the end of the book. It's really going to happen. The most powerful revival in the history of the earth is right at our footsteps. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he's inviting us to partner with him. All right? There's a management tool I use when I'm working with an organization, and I try and help them strengthen and build their organization, and the principle is at a zero. What are you talking about, John? John? But whatever's happening in your organization, whatever's happening in your ministry, whatever's happening in your life, what would happen if you added a zero to that? What's your budget right now? Add a zero to that. How many people are in your church? Add a zero to that. And it's going to force you to think differently about, wait a minute, how do we do this? I'm just telling you, there's a whole lot of people coming. A whole lot of people coming. There's a whole lot of resources Coming, there's a whole lot of challenges and pastoral issues. They're coming. There's a whole lot of need for inner healing. All right, I mean, so we got this university, IHOP University. All right, and over the I don't. know, so they started in 2005 or something like that. In the 10 years, everybody's watching. You should see how broken the kids are that are showing up. With all the zeal and jealousy for God. But they are devastated by what culture and family life has done to their hearts and their souls. And we are scrambling to build resources to help get those hearts back in shape. Because zeal is not going to get us where we're going. All right? It, it's going to take healing and it's going to take maturity. And so what, like, what, what, how are we going to do all that? Well, we're going to have to strengthen ourselves organizationally and function. Some of you were called to pastor that. Some of you called to go out and do the outreach. Some of you are called to clean up all the messes and mother them and father them. And some we have all got to find our function in that. And we're only going to do it well if we're in close relationship and intimacy with each other. Amen. Thoughts, questions? Where do you want to go
0: from here? Let's have a little dialogue. Will you stand up here, John? This issue of the inseparable link between the anointing and relationships horizontally. You refer to Ephesians. Look at this just real quick. I'm not going to preach, okay? Don't worry about it. I just want to get, I just want to,
1: reinforce. It's good. I want to just give you the Bible verse. Don't, don't say something that you can't follow. Through. Yeah, that's no,
0: okay. It's okay. Now that you mention it, (laughs) look at this. It says, Ephesians 4.30, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So we're talking about anointing. We're talking about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, in which we were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another... Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now here is this crazy link between how we connect and relate to people with the degree of the flow of the Spirit of God in our life. So I've met a lot of people like you have that are very deep into the presence of God and the hor- the vertical, you know, ministry of the Holy Spirit and the mystical. But they are super dysfunctional when it comes to stuff like conflict resolution and relationships and communication but they think you know and so here they are in bitterness now with broken relationships but they want revival and God goes I'll give you a revival proportionate to how well you'll get your relational skills put together like in other words people are on the other side of you gotta go through people to get to the promises and that, that is just not taught very often. But in, an, but in recovering of the church and the apostolic, which God's recovering backwards, we're now having an apostolic conversation with the people of God saying, look, you can't just blow people off. You can't divide from people. You can't disconnect from people and expect the pleasure of the Holy Spirit on your life, right? Is that what you're saying? So, questions. Mrs. Uh, Pat Johns. John's Papp. Perfect question. Okay, I'm going to repeat the question. Uh, Mrs. Pap asked this question. It happens to be my sister. She asked the question, if you're so hurt and, and fearful about walking into this world of relationship because you've been so abused in it. I'm going to add a couple where you've been so abused and it's gone so bad. What do you do if your just skill set and your wounding is so overwhelming you, you're just st- stuck? It's a really good question. Next question.
1: Okay, so here we, here we go. It is a great question. I mean, it's, so, it's such a timely question. I mean, because it gets to the heart of the matter in a hurry. All right, and so this is like where we even touched on yesterday. If you don't understand whose you are, if you don't understand he's the beautiful, sovereign king, all right, and my experience is, is that life is out of his control because I get hurt, okay? Like, it like... This isn't going to go well. That's my experience. And if I let my experience dictate my faith, I'm going to be chasing my tail in life. All right? I'm going to behold him and look upon him, and I'm going to get some counsel about that he's a redeemer of whatever has happened to you. The worst that the enemy has thrown at you, there's healing in his name. There's healing in his hands. He can unlock the pain that you're feeling. And so I know you guys have been after, like, the journey of how important inner healing tools are, all right? Because the problem's not out here. The problem is how our hearts manages all that's out there. And so it's not what happened to me that devastated my heart, although it was devastating. The truth is how my heart handled that. And if I handle it through hardness and bitterness and being overwhelmed and fear now wraps me like all those things. God has healing to unlock that. The most vile thing that humanity has done to the heart. God heals. All right. And when I understand whose I am, and I start taking ground about it's not out there that's the problem. It's what's in here is the problem. My uh, what I took away from that experience that God's not intimately involved. That the enemy is winning. That my heart is devastated and it's never going to be okay again if that's my takeaway that's where we got to start right there there's healing there's healing for that and as we start taking that ground there's tools about learning how to have difficult conversations and the first point is they're difficult because i'm at risk in the conversation and when I'm, i'm when i'm managing risk i'm not very good in the conversation when i'm trying to manage my negative emotions All of a sudden, what comes out of me is not this, oh, I hear you saying kind of thing, all right? It's not the ability to listen well. The ability is, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I don't like what you're saying. This doesn't feel good. I want to get out of here. I want to rip your face off right to the base of your neck, okay? That's what's going on inside of me.
0: What's the five-fold ministry? I'll give you (laughs) the five-fold ministry.
1: (laughs) But there's tools related to learning how to have difficult conversations. And anytime time you start doing something, are you going to be good at it? No. So let's practice on one another. All right? And most of us, in the context of a marriage, in the context of family relationships, you're going to have great opportunity how to practice difficult conversations. And you're probably not going to be that good at it, which is why a third party can be so helpful. There's power in a third party. Now, if the third party is ganging up on the one person, it's like, here's my third party. We're both going to jump down your throat. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking with somebody that, if we're in conflict, that there could be somebody who we both respect that can help us stay in a place of healthy process while we get all the puzzle pieces on the table and sort them out. And so there's a skill set to that. We can train that skill set. All right? So healing journey, and then a skill set to start to have the difficult conversations. And the thing about Difficult conversations is when you get to the other side of them, it binds you together, all right? The best friends you'll have in life, okay, are going to be the people you... Like, what happens in marriage, all right? Again, my experience is some of the most difficult conversations that have been incredibly painful as we process them, when we get to the other side of them, we're closer than we've ever been before, all right? and I'm not trying to throw anybody but the makeup sex can be really good too. <laughs> All right. The the whole thing about intimacy comes from the place of learning how to have those conversations. All right. And so that stuff is good and it's real,
0: but it's not easy. It's hard. You know, this is so so refreshing that we we are just working on this so much. I think one of the things I would also say is that there's a revelation of father's love that penetrates down to the core of a person to where their identity and their affection begins to create a foundation that, by which they can begin to engage relationally. If you have no relationship with your father on earth that's any good, you don't have the tools of identity and security and affection to withstand the, the weirdness of people. So all of us come, most of us come from broken dads and moms. And this is not to beat up on dads and moms, but most of us come into life in very dysfunctional relationships. So our soul has not been wired to take conflict well, other than Jason and and Alyssa. Other than that, the rest of you are just jacked up. I'm just sorry, but no. Funny joke. All right, so we feel like it's really important for two or three people to get around a person and begin to pray for a, a revelation of the love of the Father. Even Jesus, remember Jesus was, could relate to all of our brokenness. He was considered illegitimate. So, so even Jesus needed to hear from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. So everyone needs a revelation of who they are, whose they are, in the Father's love. And the Spirit of God tells our spirit that we're sons of God. That's in Romans 8. So most of us have a deficient revelation in the love of the Father. Would you agree with that? And so, man, if you don't have that, you just, rejection is so infiltrated your soul. You're so wounded and so rejected that any kind of interaction hits your spirit like a sunburn. And that's what um, Deborah is saying, is that oftentimes we're so wounded, some, I think your false self is standing between your true self. Could you cooperate with the Holy Spirit to walk your false self to the cross and die to your false self so that your true self could live? And it means being such a good news people that we are a, a rejection-free zone because the emphasis is on how you're known in heaven and how you're loved unconditionally in heaven, not us building a case for how to reject you because you, we, you know, we think you've got weaknesses. So the church has been very dangerous to people because it's operated out, it's been ambiguous as to the finished work of the cross. But if we believe the finished work of the cross we believe that we've been crucified with Christ and we've put, been put in Christ, then I've died in Christ. So for me to keep accentuating the false self that's already dead, something's wrong with that. That's, a, that's, a, that's Strategically and pastorally, that's a very bad game plan. So we've been taking the Rock Tribe through uh, Grace, Graham Cook's teachings. Called, it's, it's, the theme is called Game Changers. And Graham Cook emphasizes the importance of operating with with how we're known in heaven by seeing people by the Spirit and emphasizing their true self. Because you can build a case on every person regarding their false self, and you can disqualify every person very, very quickly if you're in the courtroom of life. Partnered with the accuser of the brethren and a prophetic discerner, you can be the most witchy, dangerous person walking the planet. Believers with a critical accusatory spirit are operating in witchcraft, and the church has been super dangerous in this. So that's, one of my answers is, how do you not squelch zeal? Because the zeal is the anointing of the Lord, putting fire on their spirit. What we want to do is add to it knowledge. We want to add to it wisdom. And so what we do is we speak the wisdom of God to be combined with the zeal of God so they don't flame out that's the challenge. that's good fathering that's good mothering and so we're now a little bit on the late side and but this has been old profound take hands right there stand and take hands we're going to close